Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, November 25th, 2012. Today's message is, What Does God Want Me to Do? Based on 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 by Pastor Isaac Whiting. Today is also the ordination of Pastor Isaac Whiting. God, please be with us today as we look at your word. Please help us to understand it. Please make us more like Jesus today. We pray in his name. Amen. Whew! It was a rather intense experience for me. I want to say thank you to everyone who was involved in that, especially the pastors who don't normally come here. Thank you for coming today and um, helping to recognize this call that God has given me. I'm really grateful to you, to all of you. I know that many of you, all of you love me, and I love you also. So thank you for that. Ordination is, as we've heard, a way for pastors, people who are called to be pastors, to be sure, to to have their calling confirmed uh, by a wider body, by people other than just themselves or a few people who know them, perhaps, that this is actually what they're called to do. It's a great thing to know what you are called to do, what God wants you to do. What does God want me to do? I've been very blessed these past seven years or so with really an assurance more and more of what God does want me to do with my whole life. And this morning has been kind of a seal to that, a cap uh, to what God has already revealed What does God want me to do? There was a time in my life when I had no idea what the answer to that question was, and I was very, very concerned that I didn't know the answer to that question. In fact, it began even before uh, I was a Christian. It began even before I believed that there was a God. I had the question in my mind, What should I do? Here I am. I've been born into the world, whatever that is. Now what am I supposed to do? I was so concerned with it that I ended up with, in fact, an entire degree in philosophy as a result of not knowing the answer to this question. And let me tell you, a degree in philosophy is distress. That's the truth. You see, what I thought in my mind is, if I don't know the answer to this question, what should I do? Then 
whatever I do is probably going to be wrong. I'm probably going to end up wasting my life, and my life will mean nothing. So until I know the answer to this question, what am I supposed to do, or after I became a believer, what does God want me to do? There was nothing to do except try and figure it out. I spent a lot of time praying and seeking, a lot of energy. But during that whole time that I was praying and seeking and in distress about what God wanted me to do, there was the Word of God sort of following me around, like a little puppy dog nipping at my heels and barking, but I was ignoring it. They've given me a certificate this morning that's the recognition of my calling. Uh, This Bible that I have here with me this morning is, I would say, my real certificate, the certificate that God gave me. Uh, This Bible, I don't usually carry this around because the pages fall out. Uh, It's been hot glued back together uh, about five times, something like that, as I tried to keep on using it in my daily devotions, even after it began to fall apart. This Bible is much like the pew Bibles, the old red pew Bibles that are in some of the pews in front of you. It was a very inexpensive Bible. Oh, you know, it probably cost in bulk about $2.50. When I was in first grade, I was never actually in grade one because I'm an American. When I was in first grade... When I was in first grade, I had a couple of piano teachers who taught me after school, and I don't remember them really at all. I remember that I thought they were a little bit mean, and they stretched my fingers apart too far. And as soon as my piano lessons were over, I immediately stopped learning piano. But they gave me this Bible, and they put an inscription um, in the front of this Bible when I was seven years old. And this Bible followed me around everywhere I went. Thirteen years later, this was the Bible that I was reading when God spoke to me and I became a believer. And then a number of years after that, I realized that the inscription that they wrote in the front of this Bible held the exact words of my calling, which God had confirmed to me many times um, in different ways. It had been there on my bookshelf most of my life, and I didn't know it. The passage today that we are reading and looking at is 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can please turn there if you have a Bible. And this is the passage that was that is written, inscribed in the front of this Bible. Not necessarily the passage you would expect someone to inscribe um, for someone in first grade who they didn't know all that well. I'll begin reading 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. 
Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What this passage means for us today is this, that God is calling each one of us to set an example by consistently and intentionally using the gifts that he's given us. God is calling each one of us to set an example by intentionally using our gifts for God and for other people. This passage was written by the Apostle Paul, a large figure in the early church, very famous man in his day and later. And it was written to a younger man named Timothy, who at the time it was written uh, was the pastor or the bishop, as they called him in those days, of the church in Ephesus, a large church. Timothy was, I suppose, young for being the pastor of such a big church. And as we've heard Lauren give me a charge today, this was Paul's charge to Timothy as he neared the end of his life. Paul and Timothy were very close. And in fact, Paul saw Timothy as a son to him in many ways. He gives Timothy basically two things that he has to do in this passage. First, he tells Timothy that he needs to be an example. As a pastor of this church, Timothy, you've been, you have a special calling, and you need to be an example. Be an example in many different ways in his life, in his faith, in his actions, the way that he lives. And second, he says to Timothy, you need to use your gifts This might seem like a simple thing, but Timothy had been through a process much like you just participated in with me. The elders had laid hands on him and spoken a prophetic message over him, told him what his gifts were and prayed for him into those gifts. And Paul says, you need to use those. You need to get better at them. You need to focus on them. You need to make sure that you don't get distracted and turn a different way, doing things that are not the main thing that you are supposed to do. Timothy has three gifts that Paul lists here. One is one we might not think of as a gift, but reading scripture in public 
This is one of the gifts that Timothy has. Another is preaching, and another is teaching. And Timothy is supposed to use these gifts and make sure that he doesn't neglect them. And Paul has in mind this vision that when Timothy does this, when he sets himself to this with everything that he has, when he's disciplined and focused on on being an example and on using his gifts, then the rest of the church around him is going to see that happening and they're going to be inspired. And they're going to do what they're supposed to do as well. What is an example? An example is something you see in a person that inspires you to follow it. Well, what does this mean then? Does this mean that everyone in Timothy's church who saw Timothy preaching and teaching and reading scripture in public was supposed to be inspired to then go preach and teach and read scripture in public? No. I don't think that's what it means at all. What it means is that each person who sees Timothy using his particular gifts is supposed to be inspired to go and use their particular gifts. Over and over again, Paul tells us in his letters that the church is like a body, and we're all different parts of that body. Timothy is simply supposed to be an example of one part of the body doing as well as it can, exactly what it was made for. And by doing that, he's supposed to inspire all the rest of the parts of the body to do what they were made to do, not what Timothy was made to do. To follow God, to do what God wants us to do, we don't have to become someone else We have to become who we are. We have to become who God made us to be. You have to know your gifts and then use them for God and for other people. Well, you might say, what if I have no idea what my gifts are? Or some, unfortunately, would say, What if I don't have any gifts? If you think you don't have any gifts, then you're wrong. And if you don't know what they are, then you need to look. You need to search until you find out what they are. Because until you find out who you are, who God made you to be, nothing else really matters that you do. You could be doing completely the wrong thing. Let me give you a couple of things you can do if you want to find out what your gifts are, if you want to be sure. A number of people have come to me over the years and said, how do I get God to tell me what to do? How do I get him to to tell me who I am, what my gifts are? The first thing you need to do is you need to pray and you need to listen. Sounds simple. We spend a lot of time from this pulpit telling you that you need to pray. I'll tell you again today, you need to pray. It's the same as it was last week. 
I spent a lot of time in prayer before God told me what he wanted me to do. A prayer is almost like a wrestling match. It's almost like an endurance exercise. When God first spoke to me these particular words, which I didn't know were already written in my Bible, wouldn't have had to spend so much time praying. When he first told me these particular words, I was in an all-night prayer meeting. And I had been I had been praying for hours and hours, and you get to the point, if you've ever gone through one of those times we pray the entire night, uh, you get to the point where you think, is this really doing anything? I'm, I'm just barely keeping myself awake, much less actually praying to the living God. And then all of a sudden, these words just came at me from somewhere beyond myself. You must preach and you must teach. This is what you need to do. So you need to pray and you need to listen. And you need to not give up in that. Don't come and tell me or tell anybody else that you prayed for 10 minutes before bed and God didn't say anything to you. I'll say boo-hoo. Go home and pray some more. (laughs) Second thing you need to do, I suggest, is pay attention to your life. If you want to know who you are and who God has called you to be, You need to pay attention to things that have happened in your life. Man, again, if I had been paying attention, he had already written my calling when I was seven years old in a book for me and handed it to me. And I spent years and years saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And third, if you want to know what you're called to do, who you are supposed to be, you should take seriously what other people around you say. You should take seriously what other people around you say. Particularly people who you know care about you, people who you can tell have good judgment or who have a good sense of things, who can discern what's in you. If they tell you that you're good at something, that, that this is who you are, then you need to listen to that and take it seriously. They might be wrong, But if it happens again and again, you need to pay attention and you need to listen. In my life, this has happened a number of times. I won't go through them all, but when I had my baptism, um, in my early years as a Christian in New Orleans when I was there, here at this church, again and again, people sometimes, people who've known me well, and sometimes people who haven't come to me and confirmed this calling that I have to preach and to teach. I think sometimes when we're told by others what we're good at, what God is calling us to do, there are two wrong responses we can have. One is we can become arrogant about it. We can think, oh yes, I'm so great I'm better than someone else because I have this calling when in fact everyone has a calling and every calling is necessary. But the second thing we do, and I think maybe the more common thing, is to become pridefully humble about our calling. To know what God wants you to do because it's been told to you by other people, God's spoken it into your life, but to say, because you're afraid, because you're afraid to follow it, to say, no, that can't be me. 
I'm not good enough to do that. And I think that very often this is the way we respond, and it comes from pride just as much. Once you know your gifts, you need to take you need to take these words of Timothy, the words you've heard this morning about, about me, spoken to me by Pastor Lord, you need to take those kinds of words seriously. This is what it means to live a life of worship, to know who you are in Christ, who God made you to be, to know what your gifts are, and then to go and use them. Notice all the things that Timothy is not called to do. Sometimes we have this idea that the pastor is supposed to be the whole church. Don't we have that idea? The pastor is supposed to somehow organize this whole body, make everything work perfectly together. He's supposed to be this phenomenal leader and this phenomenal teacher. He's supposed to be great at counseling. He's supposed to be able to be the person that everyone loves, and so they just come to church because they love the pastor. Timothy is only called to do three things. Paul doesn't tell him to teach. Or he doesn't, sorry, he tells him to teach. He doesn't tell him to lead amazing events. He doesn't tell him to make the church uh, this wonderful, spectacular place to be. He doesn't tell him to draw all people unto himself. That's Jesus' job. He just tells him to focus on these three things. This is what those of us who are pastors need to do. Let's focus on our gifts. And this is what all of us in this room need to do. Let's focus on what God has called us in particular to do and to be and not worry so much about the rest of it. As we were in our time of singing and worship this morning, I was really struck by the song, 10,000 Reasons. I love, as Grant, I'm sure, knows, that last verse. The verse where we come to the moment of our death. When the end comes and our strength is failing. My prayer for all of us today is that we would know who we are, that we would live while we're alive, live for God in these ways that he's made us to be. And that when we come to the end, we would still be focused on him. And on that day when it's over, which will come very soon, we would know that we did what we were supposed to do and that we were who we were supposed to be. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning, for all these people who have blessed me this morning. I pray this prayer I've already spoken to you, Lord, that all of us would know who we are. We wouldn't be arrogant about who we are, but that we would accept it, take on our role in this life, and follow it and follow you intentionally all the way till our last day. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.